Well, our names are Teresa and Gumby. Welcome to Escaping Society. We wrote our own song so we wouldn't have to pay for anyone else's copyright infringement. And we live in a van and we eat from the trash. Making this podcast open for cash. You better listen up because we probably won't last. Because we can't compete with nonsense. Hypnotizing nonsense. Welcome to Escaping Society. This is Mile Marker 133. I'm Gumby. I'm Teresa. And we are back for Season 12. That's a, uh, uh, what's that? Not a baker's dozen, that's six. That's an actual dozen. That is a dozen. So that makes me think of the big egg crisis of uh, 2023 now. Oh, nice. Um, I see what you did there. Yeah, yeah. But I wasn't even trying to go there first. So Happy New Year's. Happy New Year. Happy 2023. And I'm sure we're all feeling very optimistic and uh, just, uh, yeah. Spacious. There's a whole new year to fuck up. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I was being sarcastic. I'm, I'm, what I tell people is I'm culturally pessimistic, but actually personally optimistic. I, uh, I do feel, I do feel uh, a measure of optimism. And yeah, we set up outside. It's a bright sunny day after a uh, big rainstorm last night and uh, seems so sunny and calm. But uh, as soon as we set up, the wind starts picking up, which um, is one of our biggest challenges doing podcasts outside because the wind really competes with our, our voices. And uh, true to form, you know, you get to know one of my favorite things about being outside so much is you get to know the personalities of things. Seasons, trees, species, animals, birds, elements, water, rain. And uh, let me tell you, the personality of wind is contrary. Um, <laughs> wind is one of the most challenging assholes you will encounter in the woods, which doesn't mean it's not a good thing. It doesn't bring benefits and, you know. Oh, there's really lovely winds, breezes. Yeah, it's kind of like, like a... I don't know, like a sibling that like always knows all the buttons to push and is constantly challenging you. And like, really, you have to be your best self to to keep that relationship uh, even marginally healthy. That's kind of my relationship with the wind. But for the moment, it's behaving itself somewhat. Yeah, for the moment. Yeah, contrary. So, Teresa, for this episode, to kick off our 12th season, um, do you have anything you'd like to kick us off with, a place you want to go, something you want to talk about? We haven't done an episode since the Thanksgiving of 2022. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a, boy, there was a lot to talk about. I guess um, I want to bring in another element that uh, is very important to all of our lives, and that is water. Now, I can't exactly remember the dates of when we had the the big water that finally filled all our creeks and everything up, but boy, when you don't have water and then all of a sudden it's here, it is miraculous. And uh, Gumby, you had shared with me a story that I think probably Tom Brown had mentioned at his tracker school uh, about grandfather and how grandfather like really revered and respected the water when he would approach it. And that's, I felt a little bit of that when we finally went down to the creek and it was happy and singing with water. Yeah, we've actually got a shots. Um, that was from our episode Lifeblood, and there's a shots about that specific story I'm relaying for Tom Brown. But yeah, 
Yeah, um, definitely. We were reflecting on how people will have yard signs up that say water is life. You know, that's kind of a slogan that a lot of people wave around nowadays. But uh, personally, I didn't even know what water was until I started living out here without plumbing to pipe it right into our, you know, our convenient little homes. Mm-hmm. Um Man, you really learn what water truly is when you're reliant on the landscape, on the weather, on the clouds. Um, You really look at everything different through the water, you know, like chemicals, everything you spray on your body, the soaps, the things that wash down into the water. You get really uh, defensive about that because water really is life. And um, yeah, it's a beautiful thing when the rain comes and you're just like needing water and then it just falls right out of the sky and all you have to do is catch it. And it was kind of interesting. I was uh, noticing the parallel between like setting out traps for animals. You know, you kind of notice the signs, you read the tracks, and then you set the trap and try to catch the animal. Um, it's not so different catching water. You know, you read the signs, see the, the clouds coming, notice the wind direction, feel the humidity in the air. And when you feel like, all right, I think water's coming, you set out traps, whether it's a tarp shaped in a bowl shape somehow or buckets that Teresa... Um, Wipes out with uh, alcohol, you know, to keep them clean because that's another thing. Catching water is easy. Storing water is harder. So you got to have a system to, like, go through it. You don't want to just have water that's, like, put back and you keep going through the the first bucket, refilling it, going through it, and then that water put back for two months, you know, suddenly you smell it and it smells moldy. Water can go bad. There are things in the the water, especially wild water. Yeah, and I mean, just, yeah, being outside, how we store our water, I'm sure there's plenty of store-bought ways that you could store water better, but we're working with scavenged buckets that have been neglected in the woods for probably decades, and uh, <laughs> and then just uh, everything in the environment, you know, all the mold spores like Gumby was talking about, and um, all sorts of fun things that come along, but... That being said, we've been drinking rainwater for some time now without, you know, without treating it or doing anything with it other than just trying to avoid, like, when it looks kind of getting dirty in the bottom of the bucket, then we just kind of don't use that or we boil it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, another thing that happened fairly recently was this really deep, hard freeze that we're not used to here in North Carolina. And um, even over in Asheville in the mountains, they get snow, but boy, I don't think their systems were ready for this. And uh, I heard that a lot of the pipes were breaking and actually um, because the ice was jamming up the pipes, it was like bursting water pipes in people's homes. Now we don't have that problem because we don't have a home like that. But what it did manage to do was break the bottom of some of the plastic buckets. I thought that if you left water, I'm so dumb. If you just like left enough room at the top of the bucket that it would be able to expand. But what happens is in case you didn't know about hard freezes, like getting down to the teens or lower for several days in a row. I believe our low was like eight degrees during that little mini ice age. So here's a lesson learned. Once the ice freezes on the surface of the water, that's as far as the water can go. So then it starts to freeze like from the top down because it's not covered. So the warmest water is is underneath the ice. And as it keeps getting cold and that ice starts expanding, it expands out the bottom. So 
just FYI for you. <laughs> yeah. I guess if I kept breaking the ice every day, maybe that would help on top. Like I had to use a hammer. Like I was ice fishing in the bucket, but just for water, not for fish. Yeah. Yeah, that little mini ice age we went through was really educational in so many ways. There was the water that, uh, as Teresa's saying, we didn't expect it to behave that way. So now we know something more about the nature of water and how it behaves in those kind of temperatures. And we've been through cold. You know, we've been through snow We've uh, since we've been in the van. But I'm not sure we've been through eight degrees, like a deep, hard freeze like that. Um I have my dog tent set up that uh, maybe some of our listeners have seen the videos we've shared on YouTube, pictures on Facebook, and we've described it in our podcast here. But um, one of the things I set up the dog tent for was to cover it with tarps. And I thought that would be good enough. You know, it traps some heat, it sheds some water. And, um, you know, so I just, to, I don't like killing things, including trees. So if I can find old wood, I will use that. I'll favor that because I don't want to kill something new. Um, so I use some of our old logs from last year that we'd built shelters with and cabinets and stuff like that. And I used that to build the dog tent. Covered it with old tarps and it had some leaks in it, but it was all right. Um, but one of the things that they say in like bushcraft circles is when you build a shelter, it's got to support your weight. Like the main ridge pole, people will hang on it. If you can't hang on it confidently, you need to do something else. I ignored that for the shelter. I was like, eh, you know, I, I kind of get what they're saying. But now I have a deeper understanding of that. Because when this cold came, we needed more insulation. That dog tent, even with a fire in the fireplace that I built, was not warm enough. It needed insulation. And I'd been considering what kind of different kinds of infl- insulation I might uh, use on something that was only built to hold the weight of tarps. And uh, I had to go back to the first insulation I ever learned, the old tried-and-true debris. So I just got armfuls of it and started stacking it. And that freeze came in so hard that it began to freeze the ground and freeze the debris to the ground. I got it about halfway up the walls on each side of the dog tent before I couldn't I couldn't uh, chip the debris off the ground anymore. I mean, you were... Yeah, I was, I mean, it was the way I was keeping warm. It's just working really hard. Um, We definitely went into survival mode for that. We could have just like bundled up in the van and thrown all of our bedding in there. But, you know, we want to get out and do things like cook food. And this was multiple days that it was that cold. So getting outside, yeah, it was just gathering firewood, gathering debris, gathering firewood, gathering debris. So I learned that about debris. And even just going halfway up the walls, uh, made a significant difference. Wouldn't you say you felt that too, right? Yeah. and You yeah, could feel the, the heat trapped in that. Yeah, and the, the wind cut down too. I mean, just the blowing through the tarps. Yeah, so now I know if I uh, next time I build a dog tent, I will use sturdier material in anticipation that I might need to add something later. Um, the debris was getting so heavy that it was starting to bow my old poles, and I had to add, like, extra poles on the inside and lash them in, which was not easy in that crowded space. And that then in, that ended up, you had to cut more trees for that. Had to cut more trees, so yeah. Like in, yeah. So I should have just gone ahead and, you know, and really it's not a matter of just not cutting trees. It's trying to be responsible. Do it when you need to. And now I see this to be one of those things that you need to. And, uh, you know, look around for... 
what you can take in the most ethical manner. We're surrounded by a, a dense, young pine forest. So even though pine's not the best wood to work with, it's what I have in abundance. So I favor pine out here, and that's what I used. And uh, yeah, just collecting as much firewood. You know, we just kept the firewood rolling in. Usually we found that if every time we go for a walk, we grab a log or two, we never need to make a special trip to gather firewood. We always have enough for our needs, just bringing back a log or two every time we take a walk in the morning or evening when we take Sherlock on a walk. Um, For this, yeah, for this, we needed a lot more firewood. And that's another thing I learned is... I tend to be very conservative in my approach to nature. I use only enough, which is good. It's a good baseline ethic. Don't be excessive. Don't be wasteful. Just figure out what you need, and uh, you know that's good enough. Meet your need. But there are times when you need to go beyond that, to be not excessive, but to... uh, Oh, gather more, make things bigger to meet the need. And when things get really cold, you need a big fire. So I kept that fireplace cranking. If you've ever built a fire, there's this method called uh, log cabin style where you, uh, there's the teepee style most people know about that you've seen in, in books or pictures or done yourself where all the logs lean against each other like a teepee. It's good to start a fire. There's this other technique where you kind of lay logs side by side, almost like a tabletop. And then the next layer, you lay them side by side going the other way. So, you know, one might be going north-south, one might the next layer east-west, whatever. Um, But keeping at least two layers of that roaring at all times is what it took to keep that dog tent nice and and cozy for us. Yeah, because even though there wasn't any snow on the ground, um, it was so cold. My feet and my hands especially, I mean, with multiple wool sock layers and trying to keep everything dry my my extremities were just not staying warm so that big fire made a difference yeah and that was really cool to have experienced that to uh get that added um experience with that kind of cold weather because now we know more about how to survive that kind of thing and not just survive you know um but to be warm to be fairly comfortable yeah and you mentioned the van And I learned at least two lessons about where you park your van when it's cold, when it's going to be really cold, especially, and, um, and just like how it feels when you're at night in your van with that cold of temperatures outside. So one, we usually park, um, kind of in the shade, uh, even though it's winter, um, we generally have, generally, generalmente, <laughs> we have um, like some food in our van that I don't want it to get overheated. But during that hard freeze, we parked in the full sun, as much sun as we could get in this field. And because, you know, the windows are up, it's creating a greenhouse effect. You could crawl in the van. And even if you just had on your clothes and didn't get under a sleeping bag, it was warm enough. You were comfortable. Yeah. And that was with temperatures, oh, maybe like in the 20 degree Fahrenheit range. Mm-hmm. And then at night, um, the second thing was because it got down to single digits, I know that I might be able to um, get a little bit more bedding, but the bedding that we had kept us pretty warm. It's just like right before dawn when it gets the coldest anyway that it's like, woo, my kneecaps got cold. But uh, 
But yeah, that was really instructive because people were worried about us. We even had somebody offer us their house while they were gone for the holidays. But we turned them down because we were like, no, this is what we're preparing for. This is what we practice. Yeah. And just we like practice to freeze our ass off. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely part of it. And uh, like you were talking about gathering water, you know, I'd, I'd lump that lesson in with this one with the cold. You know, people try so hard to avoid challenging things. They want water convenient. They want water preheated by a machine. They want heat just sitting right there to turn a dial and you've got heat and you never have to face like uncomfortable cold. They are missing so much. Um, That's one of the things, like what you were talking about, and I'm glad you brought that up, Teresa. I'd forgotten about the van. Such a simple thing, like even using the van, where to park it makes so much difference. Mm -hmm. You know, like being mindful. Are you parking it in the shade? Why? Is the shade serving you right now? Are you parking it in the sun? Why? Is the sun serving you right now? That kind of thing. Are you parking the windshield towards the east or south where it gets the most sun in the morning or towards the west? All these things, these subtle nuances make a difference. And they help sharpen us. They make us smarter. They make us tougher. They make us more alive. And that was a big lesson I walked away with, both from the water that you were describing when the water came and we needed it, and from the cold, is, wow, people are doing themselves such a disservice in making their modern lives so convenient. I look back, and I'm not going to say I was having a great time during that cold snap. Like I said, I was in survival mode. I'd wake up, we'd get the coffee going, and, uh, you know, we'd take time to do what we needed to, use the bathroom, eat. But beyond that, it was gathering firewood, gathering debris, gathering firewood, gathering debris. That's not a lot of fun. But the lessons I walked away from, when I look back on that time, I'm really grateful. And really, what were you going to do anyway? Yeah, there's actually a video that uh, I just saw on Facebook I really liked, where uh, it's kind of depicting, I guess, I don't know, late 1800s, whenever these machines started coming out. And there's this kind of salesman on the street corner, and he's got all these little, you know, gadgets he's got. Did he have doohickeys? He's got doohickeys and thingamajiggies. (laughs) And uh, this uh, family walks by him, and they're like, oh, what's this? And he's like, well, this here is a machine, and it washes. They're like, what does it wash? And he's like, it washes clothes. And he begins to say, like, how it works. And they're like, well, well, you know, glory be. And <laughs> what's that machine? And he's like, this is a refrigerator. It, the top part will keep food frozen, and the bottom part keeps things at a consistent 35 degrees or whatever. And, uh, you know, they begin asking him questions. And they're like, well, how does it power? And he's like, well, you need electricity. And he's oh. like, Yeah, so, like, oh, you're renting these devices, but you sell us the electricity. And he's like, yeah, but it's so convenient. Think about all the time you have to do these other things. And they're like, what? What What other things? things? And, you know, he's saying, like, it seems to me, the the cowboy in the family that's talking to the salesman, seems to me that I'm going to have to work harder to pay you the electricity you're selling me and to rent the devices you're renting me to do this. So what free time? It seems like I'm going to have to work more instead of just doing what I need to do to preserve my own food and wash my own clothes. No, blasphemy. And that has indeed been our experience. Even before we left the trailer and moved into the van, um, I was experimenting with things like washing clothes on a washboard and a big tub and, you know, hanging them out on a clothesline instead of using the the more modern devices. And hell, it turns out you don't even have to do that. That's a modern device compared to what we do now. Yeah, that was just part of the, the weaning, the learning. But indeed, I mean, when you brought up that, Teresa, just now about like time to do what, you know, it's 
what do you do with that time? What do we do with all this free time that supposedly uh, to our benefit? It seems like we're scared of that free time and we automatically scramble to distractions that all indications indicate they really aren't healthy for us. Video games, consumerism, uh, consumerism subjecting ourselves to, to all kinds of propaganda that um, definitely affect our brains, our minds, the way we think, our opinions about things, our beliefs, and it's never been worse than now. So yeah, it's it's not a good trade. It's better to take your autonomy back to find ways to wash your own things. Yeah, and it's not that our life is completely devoid of free time you were just sitting in the hammock in the sunshine enjoying your beer yeah no not at all as a matter of fact uh, even more than the way we live our lives um, when we read books written by anthropologists describing indigenous tribes um, one of the things that they they seem to remark on really frequently is how much free time these people have um, very little labor involved in maintaining their lifestyle but I think in our culture we've gotten so removed from ourselves, from our general humanity, from connecting to the land, we are terrified of free time. We don't want free time, even though we think we do. We hate our jobs, but I I used to be like this. I would hate my job, and then maybe I'd get fired, maybe I'd quit, something would happen where I'd have free time. I would drive myself crazy. I wouldn't know what to do with it. I might have one day where I took a long walk in the woods, and it was like, oh, that was nice. But after that, I just start rambling around the house. I don't know what to do with myself. Just being with yourself without somebody telling you what to do with your time, without working your butt off to have these machines do things for you, that's a practice in itself, and it takes time. It took me time, years. I'm still trying to figure it out. Yeah, I'm still working on it. I still have days where I'm kind of bugging out, you know, figuring out what to do with my free time, which is why I have all these lists of projects I talk about. And while we're talking about cleaning, um, you know, I've shared with the listeners that I've got this list of skills and topics I work through um, every month. Last time we did an episode, I was talking about hammocks, and I didn't really, I failed a lot. Um, There weren't a lot of hammock things to learn that I could do. They required drills and stuff like that. I tried to improvise a couple things that didn't work out, but that's the way it it is with some experiments. You fail, but you learn something. One of the successes I had from working on hammocks was learning how to build a hammock stand, which is behind us right now. And, um, it's fascinating because it's just two tripods with a stick between them. <laughs> Which is basically basically the dog tent. Ba- yes, yes. <laughs> Learning how to make a good tripod with a stick connecting the two is huge. That one simple design, seven sticks, because a tripod is three sticks, one stick between them, seven sticks tied in just a certain way can be the beginning of a very spacious warm, effective shelter, a hammock stand, um, or both. ways to smoke meat. I mean, there's just so many things you can do with that design. It's, it's incredible. And I tried to build a hammock stand in the mountains last summer and it kept collapsing on me. And, um, I was so close. It's fascinating how just one little thing about learning about physics, just how things work, how they're put together mm-hmm. can make the difference between complete failure and complete confidence in something working. And that's what I learned with this hammock stand. Yeah, because the hammock is tied to basically the ridge pole. So your weight is pulling the ridge pole tight onto the two tripods. Yeah, it's hard to describe. If uh, you want to check it out, I've got uh, pictures on Facebook. Um, But yeah, just 
two tripods and a stick. That's about all we can describe yeah. it with. And, uh, you know, in December and now into January, one of the things I'm trying to learn more about is how to grow my own cannabis. And uh, this has been challenging. I started off right away by improving our bathroom situation. We talk about, we talk a lot about shitting in the woods, one of our favorite topics, especially oh, yeah. Teresa. Yeah, she loves squatting and pooping. And uh, <laughs> so one of the hardships of that is when it's cold and it's rainy. That's no fun whatsoever. That sucks from one end to the other. That just is terrible. So it was a good opportunity to build an outhouse. I just scavenged old lumber. Uh, there's all kinds of boards laying around the woods around here. You made a video of it. I made a video of it, so check out our YouTube channel if you haven't seen it. But uh, put together the boards in a really strategic way using the strongest boards on the things that need the most strength, like the seat, the floor, and uh, the weakest boards on things that just break the wind, <laughs> like the walls. And I uh, found some tin, made a good roof, and we've got a beautiful outhouse facing the east, facing this beautiful pine forest. And now when it rains, we just take a short walk through the rain, kind of a, a run through the rain, and we get to shit in a dry place. And an outhouse, a uh, composting human poop, human ore, can be just as simple as pooping in a bucket. The outhouse, the whole thing I built around, you know, to how to poop in the bucket is just luxury. But I'm glad I did. I learned a lot. Even the nails were scavenged. I just found old nails and pounded them straight and pounded them into the boards as sparingly as I could for the thing to hold together. And so to reiterate, the whole outhouse project is to collect our poop, our humanure, so that we can then compost it in the compost bin that you built. Which is four by four. Uh, what I researched was you want to go somewhere between three feet to five feet square for a compost, so I went right between. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to use that, hopefully, in the future, once it's kind of like, I don't know, like cured, or once it's like older, it's composted, composted. it's not uh, gross anymore, then you're going to use that for your um, nice soil. Yeah, for growing anything. So since the theme for my two months here, December and January, is growing cannabis, I don't have cannabis seeds yet. Um, so I kind of approach each theme very generally. What else would be involved in this? So composting, a uh, different way to poop. I even wanted to experiment with different ways to wipe, which we've kind of like experimented a little bit like uh, alternatives to toilet paper. Um, Teresa, corn cobs was kind of the old fashioned settler way. There's rocks or snowballs. I've heard people using sand. Man, they must have gritty assholes. <laughs> but Anyway, I didn't really push my uh, toilet paper experimentations much this time. I even found a Hooters calendar at the car wash when we washed our van. Brand new. Yeah, brand new. Wasn't so even sticky. I got all these uh, <laughs> pictures of uh, scantily clad women in bikinis from across the United States. Florida is an inordinately represented. And, uh, yeah, so I hanging out in the outhouse. bikinis in Florida all year long. Yeah, I try not to look at those women. It's, it's the devil... The devil's temptation. I just look at the calendar dates. That's why it's there. I look at them. They keep me company. Hmm. You're a pervert. But Lainey kind of, con she concerns me. Yeah. She so. looks like she's been in a couple bad relationships. <laughs> she might have She might have needed some friends in her life. Some of them are covering up something with makeup. <laughs> so I built the compost bin and that was all we, you know, we've been experimenting with uh, greenhouses. Is there anything you want to share? Because you kind of got into that part of it is uh, you built a little makeshift greenhouse trying to grow some dandelion seeds. What have you learned about 
greenhouses with no money. And by the way, we've got a lot of junk around, so we've got access to things like uh, windows, things like that. Yeah, um, we're surrounded by a bunch of discarded junk. And um, so I got basically two um, very narrow windows that are encased in like old rotting wood. It probably wasn't old to begin with, but now it is. And like one of the windows is busted, but it's like double paned. So um, still solid ish. And then I found this like plexiglass that was in a, like a garden shed that just wasn't being used for anything. And I bowed it. Like I made it look like a rainbow with the other two window panes. I know this doesn't make any sense to you listeners, but it's like the rainbow is inside the two window panes that are on either side to make it into the rainbow shape. And I just will say that there's a piece of black plastic underneath my tiny little planter that has the dandelion seeds in it. And I've watered the dandelion seeds. And when it's been uh, below freezing, I see the water beaded up and uh, still not frozen inside the greenhouse. So I think it's okay. And I I felt like down in the soil and the soil feels warm. So um, yeah, I guess um, something else to share about greenhouses is that the things that can keep it warm the longest are uh, earth, like the the soil, um, stone, which uh, retains heat for a good long time, and water. So if you have like maybe a, a black container of water, so it's absorbing as much heat from the sun as possible, that can then slowly release the heat into your greenhouse. The same with things like mulch or um, just dirt in general or rocks. So yeah, I think it's going to work. I hope it works. Yeah. And as we've uh, shared in the winter months for half the year, from about October to March, we're in a place that we can stay at basically, you know, the entire winter. Um, a lot of these projects we couldn't work on in the summer when we're moving around more mobile in the mountains. We can't be building greenhouses and outhouses and stuff. So it's a cool time to work on stuff like that, experiment with those kinds of things. Um, and before we get too far away from talking about that cold snap, there was a story that you shared with me that I just thought was a really yeah. incredible story, and I uh, was hoping you'd be willing to share anything you can remember from that story with our listeners. I'll try to remember details. I know it happened in New York State. I want to say, I want to say Buffalo, because they had a really bad storm lately, like worse than usual for Buffalo. New Where York. did you find out about it? Online. Are you, ta- are you asking me what the um, news source was? Sources. Yeah, I don't remember. I think it was like a local newspaper that had the article online. But if you look up like Buffalo, New York, um, man saves lives in blizzard 2022 or something like that, it'll probably come up. And this guy, he, um, his friend had called him. His friend said like, I knew, and I can't remember the guy's name. Let's just call him Daryl because Daryl sounds like Derek or Daryl. Which one? Daryl? Sounds like a guy that you can count Damn, on. I can almost remember his name because it was kind of a funny name. Dwayne? No, no. It was like, oh, it was like an adjective or something. <laughs> shit. It no, wasn't it wasn't shit. shit. So anyway, let's just say Daryl. So his friend called him to try to uh, get him to help out. The like car was, the vehicle was messed up. So Daryl goes out and his friend en- ends up getting help. So then Daryl gets stuck in the storm. And he's going to 
various people's houses around him. I mean, he can't move. It's like he's running out of gas to keep his vehicle warm. It is a mess. And this, again, is in the Northeast where people are used to this stuff. And they're, like, paralyzed on the streets and, like, people are dying. It's serious. So he goes up to these people's houses, like, ten different houses, and he offers money to sleep on somebody's floor. And this is also right before Christmas. And um, nobody will let him in. So he goes back to his vehicle. But on the way, he, he sees somebody walking and he's like, hey, man, why don't you come in my, my truck? Like, I got the heat on. You can get warmed up. It's dangerous out here. So then he's got, like, uh, the stranger in his truck. And then they see somebody else and then he starts seeing, like, all these other people, like the elderly people, I think, that had kids. And they were all stuck. And they couldn't get anywhere because of all the snow. So this guy takes it upon himself to go to a nearby school, like a private school of some kind. And he breaks the window and gets the people to get inside where it's warm. And there's bathrooms because most people aren't going to want to, you know, just shit outside. And he even goes into, like, the cafeteria, the school cafeteria, and looks for, like, apples and other snacks to feed the people. And he wrote a note apologizing to the school. He's like, you know, I was just trying to help save people. And I just think that that was an amazing story, an amazing guy. He even said he's glad he got turned away from those houses because it gave him the opportunity to, opportunity to help others. Did you mention the guy that had turned him down that came up to him? No, but um, I guess one of the guys after that night that um, Daryl had like helped all these people get into the school, this this guy that had turned him down for sleeping on the, um, the floor of his house, he said, uh, I couldn't sleep the whole night. I feel so, so bad. And that's when this guy, like I said, I don't know his name, Daryl or something, was just like, no, that's all right. I'm a... I have faith, and uh, I just knew that that was for a reason. Yeah. I just love that. Man, it's going to make me cry. I love that story. I love the uh, the guy that um, saved the lives. You know, what a brave, selfless guy. He was safe at home. He came out to help somebody and ended up helping 10 people. And I also find it so instructive, the people that turned him down, because it's easy for us to hear that story and think we aren't those people. Yeah. But in our culture... You know, with all this stranger danger, with all this alienation, with all this these divisions of uh, political views, of just, you name it. I mean, so many layers of division. How easy it is for us to just say no, to see somebody in need. I mean, we do it every day. You know, we see people with less than us that are asking for help, and we, I mean, it's overwhelming. I'm not just trying to lay a guilt trip. There's a reason why we get used to saying no. Yeah. It's scary to say yes. Where do you stop? But... You know, that's a good question. You know, I wonder, <laughs> what would Jesus do? Jesus, I, I think, would say there is no stopping. You say yes. You help until you've got nothing left. That's the whole point of why you're drawing breath. Mm. Like, what are we preserving? You know, it's kind of this, it's so instructive. That story, when you told me that, I just turned that over in my mind. Just the different layers of, of lesson in that. The humanity in it. Yeah. Right? What were those people protecting? Their floor space? The danger of... Uh, Letting a stranger in, you don't know. Yeah, I mean, if that guy was a different kind of guy, 
hadn't they actually, by saying no and being so protective of themselves, probably increased the danger? Because I got to say, how many houses am I going to let tell me no when I'm freezing to death? Mm. And I know they've got floor space. How many houses before I decide, all right, I'm taking over this house and you better shut the fuck up if you want to stay in here with me in your own house. I mean, it's it's. It's this subtle insanity that's that's crept into our culture, and it's really just exemplified in that story. Um, beautiful story. Yeah. And I know we're uh, we're past our half hour mark where we generally take a break. Um, I guess I just wanted to, since we touched on New Year's, you know, talk a little bit about how uh, I'll talk about how I spent my New Year's and anything you want to share, Teresa. But. Uh, we don't put a lot of stock in holidays. Like for Christmas, we didn't even really, I don't think either one of us wrote anything on our list about Christmas. For us, holidays like that, they're not about gifts. We don't have kids. Uh, anything that we need or want, we tend to get. So there's not not a looming thing, you know, for Christmas. And uh, we tend to try to do something nice. Like for Christmas, we might want to watch like a Christmas movie. Um, we might want to do something a little extra, like eat a meal that's a little more extravagant than we usually would, but that's about the extent of it. Um, and likewise for New Year's. I think people will make too big of a deal of New Year's. Um, the solstice. Now, I find the solstice very important. That is a factual, physical thing that's happening where it's the darkest day, the longest night. I feel the power of that. And so when I make it through the solstice and the days are getting longer, oh man, that gives me renewed hope at a time when I really need it. Because those days getting darker and colder, when you're out there every day feeling every sunrise and sunset, man, that can be a, a formidable force you're facing there. Yeah, you um, you asked me, like, I think you asked something to the effect of, do you feel it? Like, did you feel the solstice? And I said, well, I might not have guessed if I didn't have a calendar and I had no ability to, you know, like figure out what day it was on our calendar. Um, I don't know if I would have guessed that was a day, but I would have guessed around about the time because you could really feel the days start to get longer immediately after that. Even if it was just like a minute longer, we were like, wow, the sun is still up. That's really strange. Yeah. And for New Year's, we happen to be pet-sitting at a place that we pet-sit pretty often. We've recorded a couple episodes in this house. <laughs> and, um, you know, I was it's so easy, even for us. We, we talk at length about all the things we've learned being outside. And yet, the human animal is so powerfully adaptive, it's amazing. But part of that, it sometimes works against you. As soon as we get in the house, we immediately begin adapting to the house. Mm. We immediately start becoming house-dwelling creatures again. And it's just extraordinary. And so I'm thinking, here's New Year's. I'm in this house. It's so easy to just sit on the TV, uh, the sofa, not on the TV, that would be weird, but sit on the sofa watching TV, (laughs) watching Netflix, scrolling through videos, you know, all the crap that you just spend time with in a house. I didn't want to do that. This is the the first year, even though I don't put a lot of significance in like, oh, I'm going to make resolutions or whatever. If I, I feel like there's something I need to be doing, I try to make each day a new year. That's the day I start the new thing I should be doing. Um, but at the same time, a holiday does have the potential, like, well, why not let it be a special day? What is it really such a bad thing to make it a reminder? Yeah. You know, so I wanted to like, all right, let's just attribute significance to this day. What do I want to be doing to set a tone for the rest of my year? And so we took a longer walk than usual with the dogs that uh, Teresa was pet sitting. 
and um well one dog the husky and um went in the woods and i cut a cedar and i decided to use that day like sharpening the saw as they say there's this book called the seven habits of highly effective people i can't remember who wrote it i I read a long time ago stephen covey maybe but uh he uh one of the things, one of the chapters in, in there to uh, a habit of highly successive peop- successful people is to sharpen the saw. And what he means is instead of just plunging forward towards your goal, stop sometimes and hone your tools. Stop to sharpen the saw. So when you're jumping in to cut that wood, whatever that that metaphorical wood is that needs to be cut for you to reach your goal, you're not using a rusty saw that's like working against you. You're making sure the odds are more in your favor by sharpening the saw, preparing. So I decided to spend the day sharpening the saw. I cut down a cedar. I replaced some tools that were uh, we either had lost or uh, were in really bad shape. I made some uh, cedar pot grippers, which are a hugely useful tool, <laughs> some cedar tongs, a cedar hammer, and, uh, yeah, sharpened my knives. I literally, you know, not sharpened the saw, but did sharpen my knives, so... <laughs> I felt like that was a good way to spend the the New Year's is just trying to like, all right, let me get myself on a good foot and get ready for more projects, more learning, more skills to help me gain more independence and get further along escaping society. Anything you want to say about your your New Year's? Any thoughts or reflections? Uh, You're quite impressive. I cooked and um, I did actually have a... You're an impressive cook. Oh, thank you. I um I did have a wave of inspiration to kind of write down the things that I wanted to uh, just work on this year and try to make a plan to figure out how I can take those on in bite-sized chunks. And I'm glad I at least planted those dandelion seeds. And why the hell do I need to plant dandelion seeds? I'm out here in the country, and my dog is uh, needing some sort of a a way to get fluid out of his body, specifically maybe maybe his lungs, and I'm trying to find dandelions, and I can't find them. So one goes to seed, and I'm like, oh, I think, I think I can maybe grow dandelions. I haven't been able to grow much of anything else. And man, I remember when I was younger, it was comical how common dandelions were. It was like this war you couldn't win that they were trying to sell us all these pesticides and everything, kill those horrible, beautiful, nutritious yellow flowers in your lawn. And, uh, you know, I remember this one commercial where a dandelion, like the cartoon dandelion, goes up and is choking somebody's flower they planted. I think that that war, unfortunately, has actually started to be won. I don't see many dandelions anymore. They're there. I mean, I'm not saying like, oh, you you won't run into this, but not like I used to. And so if you would have uh, planted dandelions 20 years ago, I would have laughed at you. But now I'm like, yeah, let's get some dandelions going. Yeah, we were uh, found ourselves in a couple of church parking lots the other day for a significant amount of time just hanging out. And uh, just because, you know, we like hanging out at church parking lots (laughs) for food pantries. And uh, I went around and I did find a number of dandelion leaves to uh to make medicine for sherlock our dog but uh but yeah not even there i know it's winter but yeah so hopefully they'll grow and i'll be able to uh, harvest my my own dandelions hopefully and i'm excited about all the things we're learning all the new things we're trying um another exciting thing for me about new year's day is like i said we're here for six months during the winter october november and december are kind of like 
to me, parts of the journey away from the mountains because we got more time in front of us here than behind us. Right at New Year's, we tip, we're over the peak of that hump. And so now I feel like we're heading back towards the mountains, which I find very exciting. It's not that this is bad. Like I said, we, I feel like we use our time very well here and learn a lot, but the mountains, man, there's just something about them. And, uh, yeah, I'm counting down the months, the days, the weeks, like, all right, it's almost time to return to those mountains. And that's exciting. Um, is there anything else that, uh, you're thinking of that you'd like to talk about before we cut to a break? I've got one more thing, but if you... uh... Go ahead. All right, one more thing, and we'll cut to a break. And this wasn't really a New Year's resolution. It just happened to be something we... Actually, I decided to do it, which is funny, because Teresa, this is more her type of thing, but it just (laughs) spontaneously occurred to me, is we had the Sunday, and I just decided, I think I want to start fasting every Sunday. And uh, (laughs) Teresa's initial reaction was getting mad at me. And I can kind of understand because I just dropped that on her. And I think I'd be pretty mad if she just all of a sudden like, oh, I'm not eating today. Especially because she had just cooked a meal the day before. Like huge portions of food. It just changed her (laughs) whole plan. But anyway, the food could keep. It was cold weather. So that ended up not being an actual problem. I got over it. So we both fasted. And uh, that's something we're going to try to do um, every Sunday. And right now, I'm going light, so it's just fasting from food. I can still drink beer if I want to have a beer. We can still smoke weed. We can, you know, do whatever. The only thing is not eating food until the sun sets. And then after the sun sets, we can have a meal. Um, I'll see if I want to push it. I want to, I want it to be sustainable. And um, before I talk about why I want to fast, why are you attracted to that, Teresa? That's generally something that the type of thing you will talk about more than me. So what's your attraction to fasting? Um, well, there's a couple different things that pop up. I'm going to be real honest first and foremost and just say, because I'm generally, I take it upon myself to cook a lot. That means I have a day that's kind of free. I don't really have to cook anything as long as I prepare it the day before. So I got mad at Gumby at first because I was like, damn it, Gumby. I just made all this food for today, but actually... It's fine, now that I think about it, because it's already cooked. So I had the whole spacious day to read, to, like, do stuff online if I wanted. I didn't get around to crocheting, but I could have. Um, I can't remember all of what I did that day, but it felt just so open without having to go from, like, cooking one meal to preparing the next one just in a blink of an eye. And for my own body... I recognize that I should be like, I should physically be able to not have food and not like feel dizzy or feel nauseated or something like that. So this is just good practice in a safe environment. If I were to feel sick or in some way, just not having a good time of it, there's no, like, there's no pressure. It's just a matter of is it something I can do? All right, let's do it. And I did it, and I felt fine. I actually had a pretty good amount of energy, so I was uh, I was happy of that. Yeah, I, f- I felt fine, too, fasting. And uh, I've had bad experiences fasting before where my blood sugar will plummet. I'll feel dizzy. I'll feel like my heart's uh, racing. I'll feel nauseous. I'll get pale. That's how all of this stuff has happened to me before fasting. Um, so I kind of a long time ago decided that wasn't for me. 
But on a practical level, one of the reasons why I want to bring fasting back into my life is, uh, you know, we've, we've been reading a lot of stuff by people like evolutionary biologists. And a common thing that comes up is that the human body is wired, is designed to sometimes go without. If you want to extend the life, if you're a scientist and you've got a bunch of mice and you want to extend the life of a mouse, one of the surest ways to do that is to to make them fast sometimes, to introduce some hunger. It's this buildup. It's this gluttonous, greedy buildup of stuff, including inside of our bodies. Like Teresa and I are exploring minimalism outside of our bodies, but not really inside of our bodies. Our heads still get cluttered up with bullshit. Our bodies still get cluttered up with food, food, food. And I am a man of appetites. I love to fuck and I love to eat. (laughs) So it's really beneficial for me to deal with that because there's a spoiled child inside of me that I too often don't address. And so I feel like it's healthier for me physically. And as soon as I made the choice to fast that morning, right away, I felt my mind shift gears. I went into a more reflective place. I felt quieter. I felt more like instead of indulging my feelings, like quickly getting angry, getting frustrated, like I usually do. Um, I just felt a lot more apt to take a breath and think. It was, there's something about fasting. And it, uh, you know, Teresa read the Bible last summer, the New Testament. One of the things Jesus recommended, prayer and fasting, prayer and fasting. Of all the things, prayer and fasting. Yeah, he didn't say go to church or like give money to the church. He said prayer and fasting. And a book I uh, mentioned in a former podcast, uh, Don't Sleep, There Are Snakes, by I think Daniel Everett. Does that sound right? Sounds right. Um, an anthropologist. He, uh, you know, sometimes the Pitahan, they they always had access to food. They knew how to find it on the land. It was abundant. Sometimes they just would not eat. And uh, they would say it was to get hard. It wasn't hard in the way we use in our culture, you know, as a euphemism for an erection. They meant tough. It's a way to, uh, they're talking about discipline. That's the way I read it. They're talking about, you know, they're addressing the spoiled child inside. We want to stay tough. We don't want to get too soft. It's There are times not to eat. It's powerful. And I got to say, when it got dark and it was time to eat, I mean, we were so, I felt so thankful and so grateful for the food. Indeed. It was so delicious. And I overdid it. <laughs> so that's something I need to watch in the future. Teresa made, what was it, like lentils and cabbage? Oh, my and- God. There was like, it was a total uh, stink fest, if you get my drift. Like, there was cabbage, there were lentils, onions, all sorts of gas-inducing foods. But it was supposed to just be to, you know, have kind of healthy stuff to clear you out. But, boy. Yeah, I just hit that shit like I hadn't seen food in a week. It wasn't because I was starving. I was just so appreciative. It tasted so good. Yeah. And man, my shit for the next two days <laughs> smelled like straight up dog shit. And I mean that shit like when you step in it, it fills up the whole house. You're like, oh my God, what is that? Hmm. I tried to blame Teresa, but then it like every time I took a shit, I would smell it. And it's like, all right, all right, <laughs> this might be me. So, Yeah. But cleared you out. There was that. You were full of shit. That's all. That's what the problem was. So here we go back to talking about taking... Man, we can't get... It's basically all we're talking about is just taking shits. 
Well, I'm not sure what life is about other than shit. It's definitely an important part of it. Mm-hmm. But anything else to say about fasting? No, it's just another one of those ways that you can practice your gratitude. Yeah. All right, so we're going to cut to a break. We will return after the break. With record numbers of people flocking to the outdoors, we've enlisted seasoned outdoorsmen, experienced a hunter, and all-around grubby hillbilly Sam Deerlick Eris to help educate us. Welcome, Mr. Eris. Well, just call me Junior. Now, when you go camping, the goal is to make your campsite look as much, just as much like your own backyard as possible, and to do that, you'll need lots of stuff, a couple pickupfuls at least. The goal is to still feel like you're home inside, but have just changed the view through your window. As a gesture of neighborliness, I like to immediately play some kind of music that everybody can appreciate as loud as possible. You know, something like Alabama or Reba McIntyre, stuff that goes good with Budweiser and neglected teeth. If your cousin and them are laid off and can bring another truck, hell, load up a couple of motorbikes. Hiking takes forever and get your creases greasy, but a good bike will punch a hole right through that forest like buckshot through butter. And who doesn't love the ear-splitting roar of an engine? Expert tip, it also drowns out scary nature noises so the youngins can sleep better. Hmm. Well, thanks for that, Junior. Uh, Since you brought up the nature, I wonder if you'd be willing to share some tips on how to interact with the nature a safery. (laughs) Tips? Hell, I'll give you the whole thing. Let's start with trees. We ain't talking domesticated ornamental little yard shrubs now. Forest trees are big, wild, and dangerous. They will fall on you, try and poke your eyes out, and they will kill you if you let them. You got to establish your dominance at least by the first couple of days or they will not respect you. Right off, I pick out the biggest one and throw things at it, show I ain't scared. Knives, a hatchet, hell, shooting at it works too. I'll also, and now this is life experience talking now, hell, I'll also pick out the biggest one I can handle and cut it down, preferably at night so the chainsaw sounds will be heard further by other trees. You are very interesting. Uh, that provides firewood as well? I'm glad you brought that up. There's a lot of myths out there about camping, and here's one I hear all the time. Wood burns. Bullshit. You ever try to hold a lighter to a log? (laughs) Bubba, you'll be cold for a long time. But here's something cool. You know all that stuff you brought? Well, it turns into trash, and lots of it. What to do with it? I see people take all day bagging it and putting that nasty stuff right back in their trucks, like they're going to take it home and frame it or something. The professional woodsman knows that trash burns, especially plastic. I spent many a night warmed by a trash fire, and to this day, the incense of a melting weenie bag takes me right back to the woods. As a courtesy, I like to leave a pile of trash in the fire pit to give less experienced campers a head start after I'm gone. Glass bottles are harder to burn, but your youngins can have lots of fun playing bust the bottle. Throw some screws and nails out there, too, to keep bears away. Bears don't wear shoes. It's why it's called barefoot. You don't learn that in school, son. Indeed. Well, Junior, our time is nearly up. Are there any final words to share to help the public enjoy a fun and safe nature outing? Well, to be blunt, shit happens. All that beer and greasy food is going to lube your pipes, and in the woods we have saying, never trust a fart. I know, I know, competitive farting games around the campfire are an old favorite, and it's all fun till somebody shits themselves, and somebody will. You're going to need running water, and once again, nature provides. If you're young and flexible, shit right in the creek. It's nature's toilet. If you're older, get as close as you can. You can throw toilet paper, feminine products, crusty undies, shit, even auto parts and batteries right in. No harm done. 
Sometimes we have boat races with our shitty draws. It all goes back to God. Now don't be one of those damn fools that kills themselves walking into the woods and buries their shit like a cat. When you wipe, you want to wrap your hand in toilet paper till it's about honeydew size, then leave it around camp. That keeps away critters like snakes who hate the smell of shit. You ever see a snake eating shit? Me neither. You're welcome. Oh, thank you so much for all of your deep awards of wisdom, Junior. I hope everyone's learned something. Until next time, please camp responsibly, stay safe, and leave some white trash for the next nature enthusiast. Welcome back. Um, one thing I realized more that I wanted to say about growing cannabis was <laughs> um, that everybody I've talked to, I, I tried it a couple times when I was a teenager, and like, you know, I had a little plate with a wet paper towel and got the seed to sprout. That's about as far as I got. But uh, everybody I've talked to says that you cannot grow cannabis out in the wild if you're going to leave it unattended from April through October. It's just the odds are all against you. So, uh, yeah, I I just wanted to uh, bring that up because some things that I try to learn about, it's not – I know I'm set up for failure. Mm. But I'm still going to learn something. For instance, the more practice with the human or uh, composting toilet, building the toilet, building the compost bins, experiment with greenhouses. So um, that's like some added benefits to like having a focus because it may be a long time before I get around to growing cannabis successfully, guerrilla gardening out in the woods. Um, but I will have gotten practice with how to start it. So if my situation changes at some point, you know, I'll be that much further along. So sometimes that's the point. But, yeah, I just had that thought bouncing around in my head during the break. Um, what would you like to talk about next, Teresa? What you got on your mind? Oh, I looked up that guy's name in, uh, oh, I forget where it was in New York, but it was the guy that saved, he saved 24 people all total. 20, damn, I thought it was 12. 24. 24, wow. Oh, his name and is how many, Jay Withy. How many people died during that winter event? We like, heard like 30-something, right? Yeah, it was like. 37 or something Just like that. think. It's possible if Wiffy hadn't done what he'd done, that number would be 50-something. Yeah. It's possible. I mean, we can't guarantee all those people are going to die, yeah. but it's possible. Yeah. It can be a bitch. <laughs> well, and especially when people are, they're not um, willing to be human. Yeah. Well... I know something I want to talk about if you don't have anything that you're, uh... You don't want to talk about being human? Well, what do you want to say about being human? (laughs) Sometimes it's difficult, isn't it? It's pretty much all I ever talk about. Okay. Yeah. That's true. I love talking about being human. But, uh, yeah. Do you have something? All right. So, one thing, if you would, uh, be willing to share and talk about it is... I remember that envelope you got that had to do with voting... And how shocking I found that. Would you tell the listeners about that? Well, damn, I wish I had it in front of me. I think I saved it. But, yeah, um, I don't check my mail. you think you can find it easy? Mm, Maybe. Yeah. Oh, Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I I I can find it easy. All right, well, I'll talk about something else. You run and try to find that. So, let's see. Well, another thing I was uh, wanting to talk about is I've been reading... um, Sexual Behavior in the Human Male by Alfred Kinsey. And uh, we did an episode last season called All Love is Good Love about Kinsey and John Money. And uh, since that book is credited with 
helping shape our current cultural views about sex. That's a really important book. So I wanted to read it. And uh, man, I am I'm more than halfway through it, and it is so dense, so thick, so boring. Um, some of the most chilling books I've read, and I put Edward Bernays in this category as well, are so scientific and so dry that they're absolutely boring. It's reading. It's like reading an old school textbook. But if you stop now and then and think about what you just read, it's terrifying. And then when you you uh, reflect of how they took a terrifying idea and made it so normal and boring, it's even more terrifying. So that's the way I feel about Kinsey. He's going. He's just got so many graphs and numbers and. Um, really dry stuff. But then at the end of every chapter, just as if it was another sexual orientation that's just normal, he talks about people having sex with animals. Oh. There's just stuff like that that's like... <laughs> Hello. Yeah. It's like, what is he trying... What's the overall what he's trying to do with this book? And I guess some of our uh, current issues in the news today are part of the answer to that. But, Yeah. You got anything you want to say about Kinsey for I, I didn't really have a lot to say because that's about it. I mean, it's just really boring, and I'm uh, I'm gonna have to return it to the library tomorrow, but I'm gonna check it back out because if it's this important to shaping our the views in our culture, I feel like I want to read it once. I'm gonna push through this boring, sick, depraved crap. We had a listener on um, of this podcast, but over Facebook that asked you about. Kinsey or like where we found the information when we did the podcast on Kinsey because um, she had taken some sort of course that they used Kinsey's information or they mentioned Kinsey but didn't mention anything about what a uh, very disturbed man he was. And if you don't encounter that information, it's really easy. Like We've seen, as we mentioned in the episode, I'm not going to get too much into repeating this, but uh, we have found like videos that um, talk about Kinsey in just huge, sweeping, pretty positive uh, lights. They just erected a statue of him last, well, last year or the year before. Yeah, and the movie that we haven't watched yet looks pretty sympathetic towards Kinsey. There is a way that people have chosen to look at Kinsey that completely ignores all the child rape and all the, uh, even the book, you know, if you're not looking for it, you could just, the way it's delivered, just not even really reflect that you just looked at table 32. You, or 34. 34? Was yeah. it 34? Mm-hmm. So you could see that, and it's just laid out so dry and scientific that you don't even really register that you're looking at how many orgasms an infant can have and how one comes by that knowledge. Um That's the way the whole book reads, like at the end of every chapter, like just talking about having sex with animals. Um, He even, he's talking about legal procedures in part of the book, which (laughs) for a book that's already boring, imagine a chapter about legality Mm. written by Kinsey. Holy crap. But even the people that have sex with animals, he talks about them as if there's nothing wrong with that. (sighs) Let me... Oh, I don't know how far I'd have to back up to even, like, talk about this. But if you're not already, like, that's disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe hit pause and just reflect or something. Yeah, think back on your life. (laughs) Ask your parents some more questions. You need to get them to know them a little bit better. But, um, 
animals. Let me remind you that when we're talking about having sex with an animal, it's not just the first layer of disgust like Jesus Christ. There's also an added layer that it is rape. Animals are not consenting sexual partners for the same reason that even a three-year-old. Teresa and I had a conversation about this the other day. She asked me, do you think Kinsey was right in that people are born sexual? Because that's what Kinsey and before him Freud said, and that's what a lot of people are uh, contesting. I actually do, based on my own experience, believe that people are born sexual. What I don't think that means is that you should have a sexual relationship with them. People are sexual creatures. We are. Our bodies have evolved even before we're born, partly for the only purpose to reproduce. That's sex. I believe there's a growth time that you're exploring your own body, your uh an adult has no place in that, so that's what I believe. So, yeah, that's my answer to that. And an animal, for the same reason that you, a kid cannot consent. They're not mature enough to understand, to um, anticipate the emotional uh, things that happen afterwards. Just the whole fucking energy that is sex. A kid cannot process that. Exactly the same way an animal. You're raping an animal. Mm. I mean, I wouldn't say exactly the same way. They probably have a different thing, but it's like, yeah, it's just gross. And so anyway, that's about all I have to say about Kinsey and that really, really thick animal fucking book. (laughs) Do yourself a favor. And if you have any questions about the book, ask me or somebody who's read the book. Don't put yourself through this. Yeah. It has been very painful to watch you try and read this. Yeah, and if you don't believe me, like, oh, Gumby's trying to put off, to, put us off to this book. There must be something really uh, juicy in there. Go check it out. Yeah. If you're if you're not convinced by chapter two, man, <clears throat> you uh, have got a high tolerance for that kind of stuff. And now for something, were you done with that? Now for something you'll really like. And now for something a little different. Here's something else that's boring. I uh, generally Was that boring? no 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 no. Oh, Kinsey. Kinsey. I generally. Don't pick up my mail uh, from my friend's house for, like, many, several months usually. And um, so when I get it, there's usually a small, like, a sizable stack, but, you know, like, maybe a couple inches high. And the last time I got my mail, I had three very disconcerting letters, all from the Voter Participation Center in North Carolina. The first one, I'm not going to read you the whole thing, but it's basically like letting you know that there is an election coming up and it gives you a little table that says your voting score, the number of times you have voted, is below average. Well, big surprise there. Um, And it has in bold at the end of this letter, no one knows how you vote. But if you vote is a matter of public record. And it's like, well, okay, fine. I'm choosing not to. The second letter is a little, uh, just a reminder to let you know, again, that there's an election. But this third letter, okay. Public records indicate that you're eligible to vote. Who you vote for is private, but whether or not you vote is public record. We're sending this mailing to you and your neighbors to share who does and does not vote to you and your neighbors, in an effort to promote election participation. While we have hidden the names and street number of your neighbors to protect their privacy, these are their true voting records. 
we will, and then they have a table of like you and your neighbors, their address is blacked out and their names blacked out, but whether or not they voted for like the past four elections. Underneath that, it says, we will be reviewing these records after the election to determine whether or not you joined your neighbors in voting. I mean, what the fuck? Yeah, that is That's, crazy. That is that tone right there is a no thank you. What they say to encourage your participation in voting, and what they're actually doing is trying to use public shaming. Because yeah. why? Why would? Why on earth? Why do I care if my neighbors voted? Why yeah. Do why I on care? earth would this information be like we're going to show everybody who you are and hide their identity? Like what? To what effect? To shame you. And why would you be ashamed? Because you live among people that are so fucking brainwashed. This is the assumption. This is why it would shame you. Mm -hmm. If you live in a neighborhood where you're surrounded by people that are so brainwashed that they see it as your civic duty. And if you don't vote, then you are somehow, I don't know, one of those deplorables. Yeah. You're the reason why Trump got elected. Which is just bizarre as if everybody who didn't vote uh would have voted for the other person (laughs) most of the people i know who didn't vote like myself would not have voted for hillary if you had put a gun to our heads and said you have to vote it would not have been hillary um i think trump still would have won maybe by a bigger landslide if i had to pick between hillary and trump but yeah i'm not going to be shamed into voting but just the effort that people can send this in the mail blows my mind yeah and and it didn't work. I mean, anyway, I didn't get this until like a month or so after voting happened. But it just, I don't think, is appropriate to be sending that tone out in a letter. So I don't know if you all got that and you just like tossed it or, you know, it didn't affect you or maybe it did influence you. I'd be interested to know um, what you might have thought of that. Then, And I guess maybe they have voter participation centers in other states. So... Mm, it might be called something slightly different. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm always anticipating what does this set a precedent for? And I can see, like, if they can do this, if this is something that is not illegal, that an organization can access this information and use it in this method, and it, it's fine. How long in this culture of cancel culture, of censorship, of uh, Antifa, how long before they put out uh, letters that show everybody where you live when you didn't get vaccinated. And now you're not just uh, neglecting your civic duty and the reason why Trump got elected. Now you actually are killing their grandparents. How does that really sound so far-fetched? I mean, that's why it's so important when you notice stuff like this to, however you can, oppose it. I I don't know how one effectively opposes something like this, but at least, at least speak out strongly against stuff like this. And there was a point that was brought up because you shared this on Facebook. Yeah. At first, I thought this actually came from the government. Oh, yeah. Um, So it is a nonprofit that is sending these out. But I guess my question is, why is it so important to have people vote? Like what? And, And they're not telling you which way to vote. They're not trying to sway you for a particular candidate. But what what is the point of having a nonprofit that's spending money on getting people to vote? Yeah, I think you actually, I'm glad you brought that up. I think that's one of the, uh, the core issues brought up by this letter 
Why indeed? Why is voting so important? I mean, it's not even like it's going to make another person. I mean, we've got two choices. And they basically do the same shit anyway. We still have taxes. We still go to war. I mean, it's not a lot changes. So why is it so important that they are willing to publicly shame you to vote? One thing, I think maybe it's setting a precedent for what I just said. Hmm. They think that we are divided enough, that we are persuaded to hate enough, that this could be another level of control. If they can get away with this, like I just said, it sets a precedent. It makes the next step just a little easier to get to, pushes the bar. Um, And the other reason is I think the reason why it's so important that we vote is the psychological aspect of it. We are complicit. If you vote, even if the person you voted for doesn't win, you know you're complicit. You are involved. You promoted this system. You are a part of the system just by voting. I think that's why voting is so important, even aside from who you vote for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's kind of a pressure valve, like you were saying, just the, um, I don't know, just to have a choice. Yeah, to be given the illusion of choice. Mm -hmm. That's why most of us who don't vote, don't vote, because we know it's an illusion of choice. There's no choice there. Some asshole who's going to do the same old shit is going to get elected. There's no way around that through voting. Um, the very least you can do is refuse to participate. Once again, standing up and speaking out. But yeah, I mean, once you vote, you're just in on it. And the pressure release, you know, I think having the illusion of choice does, does give that pressure valve where you're not as apt to have some kind of revolution, whether it's a violent overthrow, you know, a January 6th violent insurrection <laughs> where all the grandmothers come out with no guns and scare people. Somebody had a gun. Ooh, somebody had a gun. And, or if it's just people saying, fuck this shit, I'm not participating at all. I'm not paying taxes. I'm not voting. I'm, I'm actually going to try to get off the grid. Either way, it's a pressure release. And I think it minimizes that risk of, at least for some people, taking what to them is an extreme measure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, did you have anything else to say about that? No, that, like I said, there were plenty of things in my stack of mail that were kind of, uh, like disconcerting. Like I got something from the city of Durham. I'm not going to share what it is, but it was, <laughs> well, let's, I was just, let's read Teresa's yes. junk mail. Well, I, ch- I wanted to try something new. It's still going to be better than our U S president's episode. That might be true. <laughs> but yeah, like, you know, you get stuff like from the bank or whatever. It's like, Oh my God, what's this going to be? But this by far was the scariest thing in that stack of mail. Yeah. The tone that yeah. just blew me away. And I guess uh, something I wanted to talk about while we're catching up is, uh, you know, because we sometimes I get so caught up in current news and things I see on Facebook, I forget that part of what this episode's supposed to be about is uh, our lives, kind of van life, which we talked a lot about, you know, housekeeping in the first part of this episode. But van maintenance, that's something I want to um, address. When we were in the mountains, I can't remember if I brought this up last season, but uh, the brakes started really scraping and sounding horrible. And I was intimidated. I try to work on as many things on the van myself as I can, but uh, I didn't know, like, I don't know anything about brakes, and they're so important, especially in the mountains, and they sounded so bad, and I think I was feeling bad at that time or or something. It just seemed like, I don't know, not a a great time. It was raining. So we went to a shop. I got a, uh, a warranty on the brakes, and they fixed them for, I don't know, 300, 250, something like that. Like 250. Yeah, so big price on that. 
but almost immediately they start squeaking again and they've just been sounding rough as hell like you know they're starting to even sometimes feel like they're scraping a little bit so i'm trying to wait till we go back to the mountains and cash in on that warranty because they replaced the rotors and the brakes so if either one is damaged i just hope there's some kind of record of that warranty yeah well that's my plan now and the other thing that happened to us like uh, uh several weeks ago is we get in the van, we're about to go to our job that's uh, teaching on Thursdays, a group of kids. <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, we put it in drive and nothing. It's like, zhoo, zhoo, the engine revs, but it doesn't go anywhere. And so I quickly Google and find out that that's, this is usually people will, you know, be afraid it's your, their transmission. It's this little tiny, what's that thing called? A bushing. A bushing thingamajiggy. And this little cheap thing falls out and you can't go into gear anymore but you can get outside lift the hood and if you've got somebody else like i did i get Teresa in the driver's seat and she jams on the brake we put the emergency brake on and she also steps on the brake i can reach under and find this little lever kind of under the battery and pop that van into drive and of course those brakes better be on because now i could run myself over (laughs) but we were getting around like for two or three days like that until we got that little bushing fix i had to take the whole Everything apart on the van, on the front part. Yeah, and at first you thought that we would only have drive, so we didn't want to like get ourselves stuck in a parking space or on some strange street where you have to do a three-point turn or something. But then you realized, oh my God, if we did, we could simply just <laughs> somehow put on the emergency brake and me get in the driver's seat, and then you could change it to reverse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I sure like it when I can work on something myself. I mean, that feels so much better. I feel like I get to know the van more. You know, I still hate that I didn't do the brakes, but now since I paid for it, it's like, I'm not I'm not doing that shit. Like, yeah. I got a warranty. They're going to fix that crap. They didn't do it right the first time. But I wish any chance I get, man, getting your own hands and working on the things that you rely on is so empowering, especially when you put it back together. And even if it's not perfect, if it works... It's like, wow, that was I did very that. impressive. And we were under such a time constraint. I mean, it could have been anything. It could have been any possible problem with a complicated machine. But you somehow managed to figure it out in record time and then, like, make that shit happen. And we actually still ended up getting to our job, like, early. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So... That's what uh, where we are on the van. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is cool. Um, I think our community has uh, come together to put a like a Teresa and Gumby charity at the uh, <laughs> library that we go to all the time. It's called a comfort closet, and it's basically like an old piece of furniture that's like a dresser or armoire, and someone has taken it upon themselves to gather. Uh, donations like cans of food or clothing items and toiletries and put it in this piece of furniture that they call the comfort closet. And the security guard that we know at the library has said, we're like, we're the only people that use it. <laughs> like it's kind of, it's for everybody, but really it's, it's for us. I really do believe we are the token <laughs> homeless people of this part of Northern Durham. Yeah. That's the Gumby and Teresa closet. But it's kind of nice. I mean, I've donated some things to it um, just because, like, when we come across a lot of something that's, you know, like a non-perishable or something useful, want to be able to pass that on to somebody else. Or it could just wait there until we need it. 
Yeah. Yeah, the library once again taking care of the homeless people. Heck yeah. And the dumpsters lately. Oh my goodness. Yeah, we mentioned the egg crisis at the beginning of this episode. Um, man, specifically, I don't know what you were going to talk about in those dumpsters, but one of the big things is the eggs. Oh, the biggest thing. We're seeing at least as many, if not more than usual, uh, dumpsters full of eggs during this egg crisis when the cheapest eggs are apparently like $5 cheap if you're lucky. Yeah, it's January 2023, and for the past, I'd say at least month, maybe longer, the price of eggs has skyrocketed. And I guess, I guess people are just still buying them. Um, $5 for a dozen of eggs. <laughs> Watch us listen to this in a year and it'll be like $10 for a dozen of eggs. Hopefully they'll still be throwing them out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then the ones we find are, there was a, a dozen of eggs that was way fancy, like the organic hand-fed, you know, lovey-dovey chickens, and it's like in a special box that has all artwork on it and stuff. The ones they sing lullabies to in yeah. folk songs as yeah. they go to sleep that, every night. That are right now like $12 a dozen. The whole dozen was just in the dumpster. None of the eggs were broken. I have no idea. I don't get it, but I did get it because we have the eggs. Yeah, and we've been dumpster diving eggs for many years now, and I can't specifically recall ever running into a bad egg. It might have happened, I just don't recall it, but it's so rare. Um, Almost every egg we get from the dumpster is good, and you'll even find whole cartons. It's hard to find a whole carton in the store that doesn't have a broken egg. You will find a whole carton in the dumpster sometimes that doesn't have a single broken egg. And even the ones that are broken, I just piece them together as quick as I can, you know, like Often there's broken eggs, which I think is why some of them get thrown out. One egg gets broken, gets messy, can't compete with the other eggs, nobody's going to wash it. Boom, 11 perfectly good eggs in the dumpster. Yep, so you just take that broken one out and put another one in. Yep, replace as quick as I can. And then if we can, if we're going by like a park or a river that we can get to easily, we rinse them off, go about our way. And yeah, we're eating eggs now. We've got, how many did we get, did you say? No, um, I'm trying to look. It's like 92... Uh, like probably like over a hundred, over a hundred eggs. And that's like, we just, we could have gotten many more, just didn't feel like we could process anymore. Didn't feel like, and we didn't feel like, cause you know, we live in a van. So where are we going to put all of these eggs? Too much of a good thing. Yeah. But, uh, it, it's amazing because I mean, that's one of the things that it's, it's important. It's an important part of people's diets. Yeah. A lot of people, even some vegetarians, eat eggs. Yeah, egg is like the perfect food. I mean, it's like a a seed. It's it's evolved, designed to be a little pocket of the most dense nutrition you can have so a young thing can, like, get a start in life. I will tell you um, about a little story of mine that is in regard to being, I think, grateful. I think. Um, And that's when we were pet-sitting and... uh, we decided to order a pizza because we never get to order a pizza when we're like, you know, living in a minivan in a field. But when I'm pet sitting, we have an address. So um, we treated, got some Papa John's pizza and wings. And the woman that dropped it off, I guess she's like the pizza delivery now. They do it through um, like DoorDash or something. I gave her a, uh, a cash tip. And I mean, it was like. As much as I could afford, you know, it was like six dollars. 
And she almost broke into tears in front of me. And she just like paused before she got in her car and said, you don't know how much this means to me. Now, if I am a person that lives in a minivan and I really don't have that much money and I can make somebody's day by giving them a cash tip, I just, that's crazy. And this was around the time Teresa realized she had actually shorted the poor delivery driver oh, on I the know, tip. Oh, I know, I uh, know. Talk about I bad. Just, I should have given her seven and then give her six. You're going to hell for that. I might be. But man, that's crazy. But you know what? That's like, that's about a dozen eggs anymore. Yeah. Oh my God. What you got, Gumby? Well, there's one thing that uh, I like to keep us, uh, everyone updated on kind of the things that we find to pass our time. So we talk about, I talk about like working on skills a lot and, you know, we're fasting on Sundays. There's another thing, like I've talked at length about on these cold evenings, we have this nice uh, routine that we get into the van and crank it up and uh, turn the heat on and listen to, listen to songs until we're toasty enough. And, um, and we smoke some weed and we lay back <laughs> and just like turn the lights out and listen to music. It's really nice. But there's this thing that we uh, did for a while that we'd turn on the light after we took... Uh, cut the van off it was all warmed up and we'd like sherlock watch <laughs> it's like it's like cloud watching oh my gosh <clears throat> now sherlock's half pointer and half boxer so he's got like those uh kind of cow type designs with like these rorschach test like spots just like a cloud <laughs> so we're just sitting there like looking at sherlock if you ever wonder how people pass their time in a van and uh, first thing we notice is the white kind of looks like the Grinch. Yeah, like the Grinch who stole Christmas. Yeah. Is there another? No, just in case somebody. Oh, the didn't Grinch know. who ran for Congress. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alan Grinch. Oh, I'm glad from you Ohio. Ah, yeah. Alan. Oh, Alan oh Mr. Grinch. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then, oh, we we looked at the brown parts, and it looks just like a chubby face. With a big old fat cock right in front of it <laughs> that's about to give a blowjob. And this is the really bad part. Once you see it, you can't, you can't unsee it. So yeah. for 12 years, I've spent with this dog and just like, you know, thought I'd looked at his spots and never saw that. And now every time I see the dog, he's got a big old blowjob just uh. like patterned on his back. Like yeah. It's like God played a joke on... I guess me, because Sherlock can't see it. He doesn't care. Yeah. Maybe you're not oversexed. Maybe it's just a, a, a very subtle suggestion over and over that you had no idea until How now. am I oversexed? I'm not the one walking around with a picture of a blowjob on my back. <laughs> that don't even make no sense. You might be right. All right. What else you got? Did I mention the guy's name? Yeah. For New York? Yeah, I think okay, Whiffy, okay, right? Okay. W-I-T-H-E-Y, Wiffy. Wiffy. And how the hell do you forget a name like Wiffy? I don't know. I thought I would always remember that one. Um, and, you know, we're going back to people wearing masks again. You've seen this, right? <laughs> yeah, I have. I have. It's, um, I'm trying to practice just like, all right, well, if right now 
the folks that are wearing masks need to wear masks. They must know something about themselves and that is comforting to them. Like that's something that they need to do. So I just try to leave it at that. But I got to admit, it freaks me out. Yeah, we just saw a guy the other day walking down the road all by himself with his mask on. Outside. Outside. (laughs) (sighs) I feel like we're in such a weird place culturally now with the uh, COVID issue. Because let's remember how recently people were so fired up getting vaccinated that they were calling people plague rats. They were uh, wanting people to sign waivers in which they couldn't have access to medical care, in which they couldn't cross state lines. People were getting fired if they didn't get vaccinated. Let's remember how recent all that was. There was discussions of mandatory vaccinations. There was a lockdown that people could not go outside if you visited your neighbor, you could have the cops called on you. Mm. You couldn't visit. Doesn't that sound like it was a long time ago? You couldn't visit your mom in the hospital for months, almost a year. Doesn't that seem so far away? It's. Or does it seem, is that just me? Does it seem like you're still in it? Is that how it feels to you? Well, whenever I see a mask, that's why it kind of, it creeps me out a little bit. Just being completely honest like I try I'm not like mean to the person or anything oh no I'm not like hating even the guy walking by himself I think it's stupid but I'm not going to try to give him a hard time it's his choice yeah that exactly I don't really when it comes to uh antagonizing someone I'm not trying to make life harder for anybody no matter how stupid I think their decisions are they don't they're if they don't ask my opinion they don't need to know I think their decision's stupid I mean that's my business. Yeah. It's when their business starts getting unnecessarily imposed on my business that we have a problem. That's my whole problem with the COVID thing. So I'm just noticing more people are wearing masks, which to me tells me the hysteria is once again ramping up. Yeah. And what we've seen before is when the hysteria ramps up among these people who tend to wear masks, they get pretty fucking Nazi. They get really authoritarian. Okay, I just saw an article headline. I didn't read the article. Big surprise. About, um, I think it was just in North Carolina, that they've been monitoring and testing the sewage for um, signs of COVID. And they said that it's the highest it's been. But we had a lot of people that were vaccinated so it's it's the highest it's been? That's actually the thing that got me th- really thinking about this. Is I recently saw someone post something on Facebook, when I say recently, maybe a couple weeks ago, but uh, saying someone in their family had COVID. And every comment was as if she had said, um, my child just got diagnosed with brain cancer. It was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Let me know if there's anything I can do. And, of course, like a week later, she's like, oh, well, he's back and my other kid has COVID. It's like, (laughs) my comment, and this is not, I swear, in this instant, I was not trying to like, I even like took the time to say, look, I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm actually trying to gather information here. You have to do that. Because you hear a lot, because, huh, yeah, well, uh, you're about to hear how well that worked, Mm. even if you do that. But, uh, you know, you hear a lot of information out there and you don't know what to believe. I am of the opinion that the vaccines aren't shit. If anything, they are dangerous. Um, I'm hearing a lot. Teresa and I have talked about this on the podcast, have seen it in our lives. A lot of people who get vaccinated and shortly thereafter, some 
kind of major health thing, often having to do with the heart, uh, they have. They have a problem. So I want information. I want to keep up with uh, who's getting sick, who's not. Because it's easy to get swayed by a couple of things and, and get misled. So I asked, were they vaccinated? Now, maybe you hear that and you already know, like, ooh, God, you didn't <laughs> ask that, did you? Faux pas. It is a faux pas. But why? Why is it such a thing? I'm not, like, you know, like, uh, trying to shame them. I didn't insult them. It was just, wow, is the va- are the vaccines working? Isn't that a fair question? Isn't that a fair question to ask of a vaccine that has so recently been pushed so strongly on us, is still being pushed on us? Why has it become taboo to ask, does it work? (laughs) It's so crazy. Yeah. And it just brought that home to me when I asked that. And she went and liked everybody's comment. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Let me know if I can bring over some soup or something. (laughs) Were they vaccinated? (laughs) Totally ignored it. She wouldn't answer. It was beneath her. I'm pretty sure she's from other things she's posted that they were, in fact, vaccinated. But I wanted to know, is this once again... Someone got COVID because when people were, as you brought up, Teresa, when my mom was in the hospital and I couldn't visit her, when during that time um, I was being called either directly or indirectly a plague rat, um, people were basically saying they would dance on my grave when I died. And my mom, not long before that, she eventually succumbed and got the uh, vaccine. She didn't want the vaccine. So right up until that point, she was among this group that they were going to dance on her fucking grave when she died. She was a plague rat. She was subhuman. These people. Yeah. I mean, I just feel like they owe us something, you know? (laughs) Reparations. No, I mean, I'm serious. Not reparations. I mean, like an apology, some acknowledgement. It's just like they just fucking, they, all this happened. They didn't speak up. They either said it themselves or they at least didn't like, hey, maybe, hey, maybe you guys need to calm down a little bit. Look, I got vaccinated, too. But, I mean, this is a lot of hate you're spreading at these people. Like, you know, this doesn't make any sense. These people didn't speak up. And now if you just ask them for some information, hey, remember that shit you tried to push on me? Remember that shit that you were saying if I didn't get it injected in my veins that uh, I shouldn't be able to travel or have a job and I should just die and you're going to dance on my grave? Remember that shit? Um, how's it working? I should be able to ask that. And they fucking at least owe me that. At least. Hmm. Yeah. So that, that whole thing just pisses me off. And when I see it like winding up again with people wearing masks, it's like, I don't know. I'd like to think that it can't go where it went before. I think people were kind of uh, shocked. They were stunned. Mm-hmm. I was too. And none of us knew what the fuck was going on. It's understandable. I'm hoping, I, I still don't let those people that acted like that off the hook for something that they didn't know what was going on. But now I hope enough people have seen it that they're just not going to put up with this shit. And I think, I don't think... We'd get back into that, I hope. There's no telling, though. There's really not. There's no telling, I mean, obviously. But I don't know. What's your impression? What's your pulse on the heartbeat of America? Do you think (laughs) that they could ramp it up like they did before? Or do you think there's enough people who are just like, look, I've already been through this with you people. I've dug in my heels. Nope, not having it. 
Thank God for people like, and I hate to support, I'm not supporting a politician, but I do applaud DeSantos, his stance on this, whatever his reasoning was. I don't know if this was an inside uh, controlled opposition. I don't know what the hell, but his apparent stance of just like, no, not in Florida. (laughs) Thank God somebody did. So I'm hoping we have more of those type of people. What do you think? Do we? Um, I think some people will have jumped ship on being so uh, authoritarian. I think they might they mm. might question. I agree with that. I think people are kind of some people are a little bit ashamed of themselves. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it's not that I want them to die, and I'm not saying I'm going to dance on their graves. I just think they owe you know some kind of like, hey, look, I do remember I said this. Sorry, I was wrong. Yeah, something. Yeah, but I think many more people are going to not be able, we talked about this earlier, they're not going to be able to admit that they were wrong in something or that they changed their mind. You know, whether, you don't have to be right or wrong, just, hey, you know what, I thought about it, I lived through some stuff, I changed my mind on it. Most people will die before they admit they're wrong about something. And I I swear, if I'm ever wrong about something, I will admit it before I die. Mm. It could happen. (laughs) <laughs> I just got what you were saying. Oh, God. All right. So our time is about ready to wrap up. Is there anything that uh, you've got that you want to hit on before we wrap up this episode and call it good? No, I'm getting cold. Yeah, we got to stoke up the fire. Um, oh, one last thing before I do my uh, listener write in. Um, the rocking chair. Can we talk about that? As long as, yeah, as long as you talk about it because you do it so well. Well, I'll try. Um, well, that picture that we use is the Escaping Society picture. It's a burning rocker. And, um, you know, I was just looking at it the other day, and, like, things that you look at a lot, sometimes you forget to really see them. They like Sherlock's look, blowjob. Like Sherlock's blowjob. Yeah. <laughs> Finest blowjob colors. So oh I was looking gosh. at that picture, and uh, it occurred to me that we've never really talked about that. I don't think about what that picture is. But when we were moving out of the trailer into the van... We had all the stuff, you know, and I loved that stuff. I mean, we had scavenged stuff, just like cool paintings that had come out of abandoned houses. It was eclectic ephemera. Yeah, that's exactly what I was trying to say. It was ephemera. (laughs) My record player, my record collection. I mean, just so many things that were like, man, this is good stuff. So the first thing we did is I built this, uh, turned a chicken shed into a tiny house and had a wraparound porch. So we just filled everything under the wraparound porch, sent out messages far and wide on the internet, Facebook, whatever. Hey, if you want some stuff, come get it. There's a donation jar if you want to. Um, Sometimes we weren't even there. It's just like, yeah, go get it. And I had found some dumpster dive candy and like hidden dumpster dive candies and chocolates all over the place. This is right around Easter as well. Yeah, so it was fun. (laughs) And then when it's getting closer to time to move into the van, Teresa got a storage place and had some stuff she kept in the storage compartment uh, for about a year or so till she gave it gave it all the way to a, at a park. Um, but right before we moved into the van, I took all the stuff that was made out of burnable stuff, drug it out to our fire pit in the yard. Burn- burnable stuff is like wood. Yeah, I, I didn't want to... Like, Not like plastic or anything. Well, yeah, plastic. I mean, plastic burns! <laughs> but, yeah, it's... uh. <laughs> but there might have been some cardboard or something. That's why I didn't just say wood. There could have been something else that I burned. But, uh, yeah, so we've got this fire going. We're wondering what to throw on first. And my mom suggests, like, uh, 
thrown on the rocker. And as Teresa says, like, yeah, she just picked that out. Like, she knew something about burning furniture. <laughs> I'm pretty sure she did. Yeah, my mom was usually pretty meek, but she said that with confidence. Yeah, she knew it was the rocker. So we put that rocking chair on, and it just, like, it was like kindling. It just went up in flames. So for us, when we look at that picture, it's that night that, like, it was an impromptu kind of organic ceremony. It was, we burned with that stuff. That rocking chair was our old lives. That mm-hmm. rocking chair was the leap into something uh, unpredictable, uh, a more insecure place, a more risky place. But I don't know. It was just kind of a, I don't know. What do you have to say about it, Teresa? Reflecting back on the picture really puts things in perspective because sometimes um, as we have like constructive criticisms, we we have to remember and think about like where we've come from, what we've learned, uh, everything that we've been through. And like you were saying, we burned with that rocking chair. We burned our old lives that night. I've had Maybe one other time where I felt like I really had died and my old life went away. But that was definitely a new level. Yeah. And sometimes I'll compare things to uh, uh, things I've learned about nature. And when two habitats overlap or where they meet, it's called an ecotone. And you'll have the best of both habitats in those places. When one thing changes drastically into another, the edge of a field into a pine forest, a pine forest into an oak hickory forest, any kind of change like that, a wetland into a higher elevation place, (laughs) 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 into an unwet land. Um, But those are really fertile areas. If you're tracking or trapping, looking for plants, you'll find more species, more diversity, more action there. That's where the animals know that there's a lot going on there, too. So they tend to be there. Um, but there are places in our lives that are like that. And when you make a big leap, a big change like that, that's one of those places that's so fertile. You get to reinvent yourself. You get to turn around again and ask yourself, who am I? What am I made of? What can I do? And so that's what that, that burning rocker represents to me when I look at that picture. That's why we've never changed the picture. Yeah. And yeah, it was just so strange to think that there are people that listen to our podcast in so many different areas of the world, and you might not have even known that was a rocking chair. I'm not sure what it looks like on your screen, but... Uh, oh, it looks like a rocking chair. But it's it does have a meaning behind it that's not just like some stock photo. <laughs> yeah, and I'm always looking for the symbolism of that. Yeah. There's something about it. Yeah, you remember when we watched Gandhi? Mm-hmm. With Ben Kingsley. You remember that scene that I loved because of the imagery where he's laying and that way he'd have his legs out to the side. Yeah. And the fire is roaring in front of him as they're burning all the English clothes yeah. that they had bought. There's something about the rocking chair to me that has that same quality of contrast. The rocking chair is such a peaceful old lady's rocking slowly back and forth. It's like something really still and grounded. The fire, the fire is eating it. The fire is changing. The fire is constantly moving. It's just this contrast, this meeting of two worlds. And that, that rocking chair is like the end of our old lives. Mm-hmm. The, the, yeah. So. And a rejection of comfort. Yeah, I like that, yeah. <laughs> Except that sometimes it's uncomfortable. And trial by fire. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, I like that. And I also have referred to that picture um, in certain venues as like the hot seat, 
you know, like yeah, yeah. really putting yourself, like you said, trial by fire, like really putting yourself out there and, uh, yeah, seeing what you're made of too. Yeah. All right. You ready for the listener write in? Sure. We've got our old friend. Oh, Tim from Maine. Oh, Tim. Hey, Tim. And Tim writes, episode 128. Not sure about Edward B. He's talking about Edward Bernays. They broke the mine down and figured out how it worked, then used that info to sell us things, and now we are being sold as a product. So I guess he's saying we're being sold as a product, too. Mm-hmm. It's trash. As for Frozen, I saw it coming after the three men tapped out for silly reasons. Teresa's on to Nicole A. Woke for sure. <laughs> Ain't finished the episode yet. Trying out other comment venues. So Tim usually comments on Facebook, um, but he actually sent a message through our website for this one. Ooh. Good on you, Tim. Yeah. Try something new. <laughs> Trial by fire. So, yeah, that uh, Frozen, he's talking about Alone Frozen, and uh, we had mentioned that, I guess that was episode 128, um, where... You know, suddenly after white men winning alone, season after season after season, there's six people in Alone Frozen. The three uh, white men, actually two white men and one what, like Hispanic. Hispanic guy, Latinx. all dropped out for just bizarre reasons. Just, oh, I don't want to do it anymore. I didn't know it would be tough. Oh, I'm homesick. Uh, yeah, I just found, I just discovered I've outgrown this, so I'm going home. <laughs> they just, were all people that had done this already. Yeah, they'd already done it. And so uh, there's three women left. A woman's gonna win. It was just so rigged. At the same time, we have the first non-white guy winning the uh, regular alone season. It was just so, like, what? And to be clear, because this is a standalone, I mean, this is like a new season. When we were um, talking about this before, we went into more detail. But it's not that we need a white person, man or woman, to win. It was just a pattern that Speak was happening. Speak for yourself, Teresa. I need that. <laughs> I have nothing else happening in my life. If a white man doesn't win alone, what the hell? Oh, my gosh. No, so. but totally, I agree with you. It's, I mean, inevitably, a person of color or a woman was going to win. They had come very close before it's just the odds of the way they did it because in the the series you know we just said three guys that typically are in the group that win consistently for quite a while now boom gone somebody that's never won before is going to win at the same time the regular season of alone all the white people drop out white men and what's left is an asian man a woman and a uh, latino man so, I mean, what are the odds? That's that's all we were saying in that episode. It was about time. Yeah, it's it just seemed too rigged. I think the the mob was upon the History Channel to make that happen, and I just think that if a woman or a person of color or a woman of color, whatever, was going to win, let it be. Let it be. And if it was that and it was just a coincidence, well, all right. I mean, the the shows were entertaining, but it just kind of smelled suspect. That's all. It just kind of seemed like it was a little more orchestrated than just letting somebody be uh, a good survivalist or yeah. a good strategist, for that matter. Maybe we'll have somebody on there who identifies as a polar bear. That'll be an interesting <laughs> season. So, yeah, and not sure about Edward B., Edward Bernays. Yeah. Not sure about him either. I think that was the episode where I was saying, like, in a way, he kind of makes sense. You know, Mm. if you – 
I don't know. You got to be careful when you get into this propaganda and learning about it, man, because just like Sherlock's blowjob spot, you'll never <laughs> see the world the same way again. Um, oh, my God. Now I see the propaganda. And once you know how malleable the human mind is, it really raises some disturbing questions that don't have easy answers. How many of your thoughts are your thoughts? Why do you think you think the way you do? Wow. I mean, how what what makes you so damn special when you see these experiments? You see people, how their minds can be manipulated. How many of those things do you have to see before you're like, what are the odds I am like Superman here? Might <laughs> I be manipulated as well? Yeah, at least curated choices for you. Yeah. Because that was Bernays' whole thing, was that we need to like make sure that that the right choices are presented and not have the wrong slash evil choices. But then somehow that got all hijacked. Yeah. Yeah. Bernays said, you know, it's the responsibility of people who understand how the human mind works to uh, manipulate it, to socially engineer it. And he makes a damn convincing case. Then again, we had so much of history before that where... It's where people were seen. fighting and trying to oh, kill each other true. and it had You're come right. to a crescendo with the world wars, which is the whole thing of uh, Bernays coming out like, look, this oh. is about to be a hellscape. Yeah, you're right. So in this world where it's hard to tell, like everything is just like, I don't know, topsy-turvy, upside down. I don't know where to put Bernays. He might have been the one that bought us another hundred years. And then you got to want, is that a necessarily a good thing? Should everything had just, yeah. if it had stopped right after World War II and we had torn each other apart before, if the social engineering did kind of pacify us somehow. What uh, are we? Maybe there would be more of the the earth left intact. I don't know. Yeah. But it's just some really kind of disturbing much, questions. How much humanness was kind of changed by that? Like, what are we now? This could be another episode. Well, actually, this is another episode because we're getting into <laughs> like some transhumanist stuff. Ooh. But it is. That's what's so provocative to me about Bernays is those kinds of questions naturally get raised when you start exploring what he did. Uh, what are we doing with our humanity? What is humanity? I mean, it's a rabbit hole. So anyway. So thanks uh, for writing in there, Tim. Thanks for writing in, Tim. And, uh, As always. If you have any questions or comments or uh, just, you know, raves about how awesome we are or uh, uh, dirty jokes, anything like that, um, please write in. Um, you can access us through our website, www.escapingsociety.weebly. B as in – come on, Teresa, what's a B? Blowjob. <laughs> oh, excellent. Excellent. You're getting good at this. Wait B a second. Blowjob. I don't think we've done what that before. What are you doing to me? <laughs> <laughs> Dot com. Dot com. <laughs> and we have a Facebook page, Escaping Society. We kind of don't really use that anymore because uh, they started changing like how you have to use this thing, and it became really hard to use, so... Uh, we're just kind of leaving that for Zuckerberg to go fuck with. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we've got a YouTube channel that we've been trying to add more YouTube videos. we got some messed up. We really need to go and clean house on our YouTube channel. Um, what else? We've got a donate button at our website, <laughs> www.weeblybeasandblowjob.com. 
Escaping Society. Uh, good Lord. All right, let me do that again. www.escapingsociety.weebly.com. There's a donate button, so if you have uh, benefited, if you've been amused, educated, challenged, or have uh, grown as a person, I like to think we've learned a little something. We've laughed and cried along the way and shared something special. Lighten your load. Lighten your load. Uh, give us money. And anything else? Um, no, it's getting cold. Yeah. So look for the burning rocker. Bye. sucks and we don't need it it's killing your kids so why do you feed it they'll tell you to stay but you don't need to heed it you can give them the finger there's no time to linger so thank you for listening to our song it's not very good and it went kind of long don't care if you like it cause we'll be gone over that next horizon we ain't got no address